Morning, beloved. We will be in 1 Samuel chapter 16 if you would like to make your copy of Scripture ready. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16, we're going to pick up in verse 14. Uh, While you're turning there, I read an interesting article this week by Forbes, and Forbes' article about instant gratification made three claims. And so these three claims from this article by Forbes about instant gratification, uh, the first one, instant gratification creates addictive tendencies. Instant gratification creates addictive tendencies. How many of you are like, yeah, that's that's definitely true. I see that in my life. Um, It makes us just increasingly selfish. It's kind of the what I want and when I want it. Instant gratification just feeds that monster, the, the me monster, if you are familiar with that sketch. Um, and, the, and the thing with that is that gratification is a moving target. It's kind of like beauty. Like, what is really gratifying today, tomorrow, just kind of won't measure up. And so it's, it's, it's that idea of it's an addictive tendency, and addictions must continue to grow. What is enough for today is not enough tomorrow, and so it keeps moving. And so that's why instant gratification creates this addictive tendency. Um, and so I would agree with that first claim. The second claim is that delayed gratification is actually more rewarding. Delayed gratification is more rewarding. And I would have to say, every time I do premarital counseling, I just finished up a couple couples this week, and, uh, and I always tell them, like, hey, one of the things you're committing to is you're going to abstain physically. You're, you're not going to um, engage in that kind of stuff until your wedding. So can you make that promise to me, to each other? And what I always tell them is, like, I, I get it that it can sound like this kind of, like, old, kind of hard rule that, like, but I have these natural desires, and I'm telling you, I promise, if you wait, it will be worth it. It will be better. So get excited about your wedding day, and that's what they're saying. Delayed gratification is more rewarding. Don't just fall prey to what is immediate, the instant gratification. Delayed gratification is actually more rewarding. And the last claim that they make in this article was slowly built success is trusted and sustainable. And you know, a great predictor of someone's future trajectory is to look at their past. And that is not to say that people cannot change, but if you meet someone and you want to know like, where are they headed, and look at where they've been. Where have they been coming from? That's a really good indicator of where they're going. And so this is true. Slowly built success is trusted and more sustainable. I remember right out of college, uh, 22 years old, I got a teaching job at a high school, and I looked like I was 17. And so there were kids I was teaching that looked older than me, which made for all kinds of fun stuff to happen. But one of the things I did to try to help alleviate the tension there was I would dress very professionally, like, tie every day, all that kind of stuff. And there was one other teacher who always dressed really nice as well. And so one day we're talking, and I was like, well, the reason that I dress like this is because otherwise I look like another student. And and I'll never forget his words. He was like, mama always said to dress for the job you want, not the job you've got. (laughs) I was like, okay, I see where you're going. But it's true. You, You want to move forward into something in a sustainable way, a way that is trusted. Um, And so uh, all of that is good for us to consider because we live in the age of instant gratification. It's so much of our life, I mean, even as young as I am, I think back on what my childhood was like and waiting for so many things that now, if I have to wait just a small fraction of the amount of time I once waited, I get frustrated. I, I'm just gonna move on. This isn't worth waiting for. When I would have waited so much longer, just a couple decades ago. And so this is just crazy because we live in the age of instant gratification and we don't like things we have to wait for. Uh, But waiting is one of the main things we do in life. We have to wait for a lot. And so here we pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Having said that, look at what happens. Verse 14. 
Now the spirit of the Lord had left Saul, and an evil spirit sent from the Lord began to torment him. So Saul's servant said to him, you see that an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command your servants here in your presence to look for someone who knows how to play the lyre. Whenever the evil spirit from God comes on you, that person can play the lyre and you will feel better. Then Saul commanded his servants, find me someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He's also a valiant man, a warrior, eloquent, handsome, and the Lord is with him. Then Saul dispatched messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a wineskin, one young goat, sent them by his son David to Saul. When David came to Saul and entered his servants, his service, Saul loved him very much, and David became his armor bearer. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, let David remain in my service, for he has found favor with me. Whenever the spirit from God came on Saul, David would pick up his lyre and play, and Saul would then be relieved, feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> so what, what has happened here, if you've not been tracking with us, is Saul was anointed as the first king. And so this prophet comes, anoints Saul, um, but then, you know, Saul has this kind of weird thing where, like, he's not really yet king, and, and they find him hiding among the supplies when he's supposed to be there, and they're like, okay, like, you are the king. And so he now kind of steps into this role, and he's actually helping what God intended to deliver them from the Philistines and all this stuff. And so he's now king, he's recognized as king, um, but there comes a day when he's supposed to go to battle, and before they go to battle, he's supposed to wait for the Lord. And so Samuel's supposed to come and offer sacrifice and kind of give him the instructions, the marching orders, and Saul is there waiting, and he grows impatient. He doesn't wait long enough, and he decides, I'll just go ahead and make the sacrifice myself, which is in direct contradiction to the command of the Lord. And so he does this, and then the prophet shows up and is like, what have you done? This is not good. And so he tells him, like, you've disobeyed God. The kingdom is actually going to be torn from your hand. Like, you have now been rejected as king. And so now he's functionally still the king, but he's living with this knowledge. They're like, I've been rejected by God. And, and so the spirit of the Lord had come upon him, it says, when he was anointed as king. And yet now we pick up in a text that says, now the spirit of the Lord had left Saul. And you remember we talked about David's anointing. And when David was anointed by this prophet, the spirit came on him permanently. And so this is huge. Now there's this different spirit, and this might kind of make you uncomfortable, but God sends some kind of spirit that is harassing him, that is this evil spirit. It's like torturing him. And so he needs relief. And like, well, who's gonna provide relief? And like, well, music tends to help. And how many of you know that's true now? Like, how often can you just be in, like, a, a weird place, like, you're down and everything, and music can just totally change the way you feel? And that's beautiful. And there's a lot of science behind that, the endorphins that are released and all that stuff. But, like, God made us in this way. And so they're like, hey, music often helps. Let's find a musician. And guess who the musician is? David. David, the one who has now been anointed as being the next king, and yet now David is here. And so I want you to kind of enter into his story for a moment. Imagine if that was you. This prophet showed up one day. Your dad had you out with the sheep because you're not even worth considering. Like you're the youngest. You're the runt of the family. All your brothers go through and they're like, nope, not, 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 not him, not him. You have another son? Like, yeah, but he's out with the sheep. <laughs> like, oh, that's the one. And so now you have all this tension with your brothers of like, hey, I'm gonna be king. <laughs> I've been anointed, I'm gonna be king. And you're, you've got that in your mind, that the prophet, 
God told him and now has told me I'm going to be king. Me, this little shepherd boy. And man, I know how to fight, but I'm just a shepherd boy. Like dad didn't even think I was worth being at the party. But this is what God is calling me to. This is who I'm to be. I'm to be the king. And then you get word that the current king, that you know like I'm gonna take his place. He needs you to come and play the liar. And so imagine David now in his court as he becomes his armor bearer and he finds favor with Saul. And you're watching as this king that you know you're supposed to be replacing is just losing his mind. Like the guy is crazy. He gets, this evil spirit comes on him and you just watch him go into these fits of rage and just depression and all this stuff. And it's my job to just play this thing and help you to not freak out and calm you down. And all the while he knows my position that is to come is I'm actually going to be wearing that crown. I'm supposed to be there. And yet now here is David watching this crazy king and serving him. If you were in that position, you know what you are supposed to be doing. You are supposed to be becoming king. And now here you are serving the crazy king. How much tension would you feel there? Like, here's your job. How much tension would you feel like, have you had a bad boss? Now imagine if this was your position. Like, you're supposed to be in that person's place. That person is absolutely crazy, making awful decisions, and here you are, serving them. I'm gonna hold your armor. Oh, you're freaking out, let me go grab my instrument. Here we go, it's gonna get crazy in here, guys. Okay, calm down, you're, you're okay. Like, imagine him, like, just as he would sing over this king, trying to soothe him like a toddler throwing a temper tantrum. Like, what would that feel like? How much peace would you experience? And so today, bottom line for you, what, what we want to get from this, peace requires patience, and patience requires self-control. Peace requires patience, and patience requires self-control. Um, in, the, in the language of one of the Proverbs, in chapter 16, verse 32 of Proverbs, it says, patience is better than power in controlling one's emotions than capturing a city. Now consider that. Patience is better than power in controlling one's emotions than capturing a city. Very obvious questions to ask. How is patience better than power? And how is controlling our emotions better than capturing a city? Because capturing a city sounds pretty awesome. How? Uh, one commentator wrote about this, and he said, the long-suffering non-irascible man is more of a hero than the valiant commander of a great army. One overcomes external foes or obstacles. The other conquers himself. How is it better for you to have patience and self-control than to capture an entire city? It could be an evil enemy city. And you just free a ton of people and it still stands. It's actually better for you to have patience and self-control. How? Because one is overcoming the external foe and the other is overcoming just yourself. And so that means, who is the greater enemy? Where is the greater danger? Is it outside? No, it's inside. That I am the greatest source of my own undoing. And isn't that the story of Saul? That Saul's own undoing was himself. His lack of patience, his lack of control. 
And not control of what is external, but control of what is internal. His lack of self-control. John Piper says this, he says, impatient people are weak and therefore dependent on external supports, like schedules that go just right and circumstances that support their fragile hearts. Their outbursts of oaths and threats and harsh criticisms of the culprits who cross their paths do not sound weak. But that noise is all a camouflage of weakness. Patience demands tremendous inner strength. Patience demands tremendous inner strength. If you want to have patience and self-control, then you need to start looking inside. But here's the thing. It's not about your own willpower. It's not about just you overcoming these mental obstacles and everything. It's looking inside as a believer, as a follower of Christ, to know that God is now within you. You have been sealed with a promise. The Spirit now abides within us. And so if he dwells among us, we look to him. Christ is now our source of strength. And this is why in Galatians, Paul talks about what, like kind of the highlight, the climax of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. And so self-control is not something you conjure up yourself. It's actually something that is given as a gift. It is a fruit of the Spirit. And so beloved, let's listen and look for the Spirit and his provision of self-control and then accept the gift and utilize it. That's kind of the thing about gifts, Right? These things that come from God, yeah, enjoy that. Make use of that. Walk according to the spirit, not according to the flesh. The flesh is gonna say, me, 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 now, 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 now. And yet the spirit is gonna say, you can wait. And I'll be with you in the waiting. And we can be okay with that. We can find self-control from him. So let's put it to use. As we look at David's position, this is not yet the position that God had promised him. And we know that God has promised him he is going to be the king, he has been anointed. And yet David is now here and yet a very different position under the king in his court, serving him in a really humbling way. Here is David. And yet what is his response? Does David start throwing a temper tantrum? Let's be honest, I would. Like, could you imagine having this assurance from God? You're gonna be king like, no one on earth is going to usurp your authority. Like, you are going to be in power. And I had, wait, just for a while, I don't need you to come under this crazy man and serve him. Just serve him. Like, wait, no, this is not happening. Like, on the, on the premise of, like, God has spoken, okay? The prophet told me, I'm going to be king. There's no way I'm coming under that guy. No. He doesn't throw a temper tantrum. He doesn't grow bitter about this. He doesn't grow depressed about this. Instead, he humbles himself and he serves in obedience. He practices self-control. He actually cares for Saul. Can you imagine that? For us to be peacemakers, to be in the midst of our enemies and not just say like, okay, I'll, I'll tolerate it. Like no, but to actually step in and serve even if it's someone that you know God has told you, you're gonna be over them one day. Could you have the humility to say, in love, I'll serve you. You may hate me, and you may be crazy, but I'll love you, and I'll serve you. Uh, David shows us incredible humility, genuinely helping the king, 
And I think about David's life and those claims from Forbes' article, and I'm not at all saying that this is on par with Scripture, but I think that it's actually demonstrating the truth of Scripture. That Think about it. Instant gratification creates addictive tendencies. And so now David is here under this crazy king watching someone who is impulsive, who cannot wait, has no self-control, and he watches how this plays out. This is getting worse and worse. This is not going well for him. And so I don't want to fall prey to addictive tendencies. I said, just wait. He watches. And you can just imagine David thinking like, this is what happens when you give in to just impulse. And so he sees. This is learning what power can do and how to wield it wisely. Or delayed gratification is more rewarding. David spent time learning and preparing to be ready to be king. Then he's able to more fully appreciate the position that he's given as he watches how this cannot go well and sits under this with humility and learns how I can exercise the same kind of power in a way that does not consume me and others. That this is actually more rewarding. And slowly built trust, or slowly built success is trusted and sustainable. You know, in this time that David is in court, he's building the trust and gaining the trust of the people. He's gaining experience, and he's demonstrating his ability to lead. And so by the time, we're kind of giving away some of the story, but by the time he becomes king, the people know him and they celebrate him. And so him becoming king is like a shoe and like, yes, we want you to lead us. You have demonstrated your character and your capacity. Yes, this makes sense. And did that happen overnight? No. When Saul was hiding among the supplies and the lot falls on him, oh, it's me. And suddenly he's given this authority. Whereas David sits under this and with patience and self-control, he learns and grows in his character and reputations where the people trust him and now it is sustainable. And so the question now for you, you look at David's position, can you be content in your current position? Where you are now, can you be content? Can you be patient? Can you have self-control? Even if you know that this is not where God ultimately wants you. This is where he has you. And so can you be content? Can you trust that God is still at work and even the most unexpected seasons or situations that he really is working for our good and his glory? Can you trust that? And the ultimate example of this is Jesus, right? You consider Jesus, the eternal son of God who took on human flesh. Why? So that he could come and rescue us, to save us. And, and what was that all leading to? Was it just about redeeming us? No. It's actually all about his glory. And we, we benefit from this beautifully, but God is at the center of the gospel always. This is ultimately for him and his glory and we get to enjoy that and that's because he's so gracious and loving. He lavishes goodness to us and so look at this in first, or I'm sorry, in Philippians. Philippians chapter two, listen to this. This is Paul talking. He says, if then there is any encouragement in Christ, do you, do you find any encouragement in Christ? I know you guys don't like to talk. I would love it if you talk. <laughs> is there any encouragement in Christ? Yes. Is there any consolation of love? Yes. If any fellowship with the Spirit, 
If any affection and mercy make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. You say, hey, just like David, here with this crazy king, could you actually, even for this moment, like, I'm gonna make him more important. I know what's to come, but I'll humble myself and I'll step into this. And now listen to what he says. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God has highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the ultimate illustration of how God is absolutely at work in every season. And so can you have patience in the moment, in the season, when you know you're not quite where God said you would be? But God is working in this, just like the gospel is that God, Jesus, the Son of God, took on human flesh, stepped aside from the weight of his full divinity, kept that full divinity, but took on all of humanity as well and stepped in great humility and humbled himself to obedience to the point of death on a cross. Do you see it? This season of his waiting that he now condescends, he comes down to us, becomes like us, takes on our sin so that we could have his righteousness and our sin would be nailed to a cross. What a weight. Not just in the sense of like, oh, that's heavy, but a weight as in time is going on. And now here he is. Why is he in this position? Because now look forward. Because of that season, God has now given him the name that is above every other name. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. He is Lord. And it all gives glory to God. So don't be stuck thinking that your position defines you. Your position is not what defines you. The gospel is what defines you, not your position. And so now, in whatever season we're in, we can do it all to the glory of God. In the language of Paul to the church in Corinth, he says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Hey, you've been anointed king? Well, go serve the crazy king. Go play your liar. Sing over him, calm him down because he's crazy. And you can do that with patience, humility, self-control because the position you have right now is not what defines you. The gospel defines you. Listen to the gospel. And what's the key to having patience? It really comes down to just trusting in God's sovereignty. That in every situation, in every position, he is at work. Can you trust in God's sovereignty? You'll have patience. You'll be able to wait. Because you know, he's working in all of this. In all of this insanity, he's still at work. So be patient. Trust him. And then watch how if you can trust in the sovereignty of God, you can have patience 
and that patience becomes peace. That everything's going crazy around in life, but if I have patience, because I'm trusting in God who's in control, I'm at peace. And that peace I have internally becomes an external peace. That shalom that we want so badly. And what's the key to self-control? So greatly related. It's just submitting to God's sovereignty. You want self-control? You want control over yourself? You want to overcome the greatest thing against us, which is us? Then submit to God's control, his sovereignty, that he is in control means I can be at peace. And then that peace can radiate out. So as we conclude this, um, maybe you're like, oh, this feels kind of everywhere. Like, like, I don't know that I could be like David like, in that kind of a position, having that kind of knowledge, and yet being humbled to that point. Like, I don't know about this. Like, that's, that's wild. Um, let me offer you a simple definition of patience. Patience, in simple terms, is moving at someone else's pace. You, you know, Love is patient. Love is kind. That whole list in 1 Corinthians 13 of what love is starts with love is patient. So if love is patient, it means if I want to love you well and I'm called to love all of you and my enemy even, that means I'm going to move at your pace when it doesn't match my pace. I can slow down and see how that relates to God's sovereignty and his providence. That if I can trust his goodness and his control, his just grace that is for me, his promises, then man, I can be patient. I can actually move on his timeline, knowing that it's way better than my timeline. I can be patient. Uh, This week, um, Elena is not here today, my daughter, because she's still coughing and just given everything over the last year, just not worth making people uncomfortable. She's been on medicine, um, but I had to take her to the doctor earlier this week. And she started coughing, and then she woke up with a fever. I'm like, oh no, it's happening! Like the whole Michael Scott moment, and you're like, oh! And so I, we call the doctor, and, and the, doctor, like, the nurse that answers the phone, like, okay, what are the symptoms? I'm like, well, she had a cough yesterday, she woke up with a fever today, and stuff. like, okay, so we get, a, we get an appointment scheduled. I show up in there with her, and so we're, we're like, wearing the mask and everything, we're in there. The nurse comes, and she's, she's like, what are the symptoms? So I tell her again, like, she's coughing, and, and she woke up with a fever today, so all this stuff, and, and she's like, okay, and she puts us in one of the regular rooms, we're waiting for the doctor, and, you know, the, the doctor comes in, and like, okay, so what are the symptoms? And I, again, like, she's been coughing, she woke up with a fever, and then, like, we go into madness, like, I, like, we've already talked about the vaccine, like, I know he's had the vaccine, but he, like, total shutdown, like, he's, like, frantically pulling us out of there, we go to this back room that's, like, got boxes stacked to the ceiling, it's, like, their COVID protocol room, and he's putting on the full hazmat suit and everything, and it's, like, she's four, this is really freaking her out, you know, like, dad's, like, not liking this, and, and I'm just, like, this is, this is crazy, and she's good, like, we're all clear and all that stuff, but, um, I, I'm sitting there in the room, and they have one of those toys where like the pegs are in the, the grooves that are cut through a piece of wood and you move the different pegs and they're different colors and Elena is actually kind of OCD like me and so she's wanting to put all the colors in their own special pocket. And so she starts to move some and she's moved some over and so there's a track where like you can move them this way or in the middle they can go vertical and she wants to move some of them that are on the right side up vertically 
And so she moves the ones that are in front of it of a different color over to the left until suddenly she's actually blocked that. And so she's just trying to like force it through and she doesn't realize. And so finally Stephanie like, look, sweetie, if you want to move that color up, you have to first move that whole row, baby. And you can see it in her face. I don't want to wait for that. I don't want to do that. And I'm just sitting there thinking like, isn't that life? I want to do this. But before I can do this, I've got to do all of this. Or I could see God is with me in every moment. And he's at work in every moment. And so if I am delayed, well, who am I to complain? And so every moment becomes this exciting opportunity. God, what do you want to do with me now? In this season, I didn't think I'd ever be here. What do you want to do? What's today look like, Jesus? It might look really frustrating, but all of that changes when you realize he's at work and he's in control. I can see this in light of God. Uh, but our tendency is to think that, that if I'm going to have patience, then I need to avoid any kind of experience or circumstance that's going to test my patience. Like, I, I keep being a patient person by avoiding things that test my patience because we see patience as like this commodity that like you can use it and lose it. And so if I want to be a patient person, I need to amass patience and just protect it. And yet, here's the thing, you don't grow patience without trials. It's in trials that you grow patience. And it's in those trials that if you have patience, you have this peace that then becomes contagious because people around us will see why. Why in the world are you so peaceful right now? I would have lost it. (laughs) Well, let me tell you, there's a table and I'm seated at this table. And in the language of David in Psalm 23, like he prepared this table in the presence of my enemies. And so the war is going on and yet here I am at this table that the king of kings has set for me and I get to sit here and now as you watch me, not freaked out by any of this and being at peace, I can say, do you want to sit? Would you like to sit at this table? Yes, yes, I would like to sit at that table. I want that kind of peace that you have. So church, let it be shown. Submit to God's sovereignty and his control. Let his peace become your peace, the one who is unfazed by anything. Your position is defined by the gospel. And so live in that reality and don't be afraid of the things that test our patience because it's in those that God is growing our patience. And so you look to the spirit and ask him, help, I wanna walk with you today. I need self-control and patience. And then be excited. Look at the opportunity to invite others to the table as they see our displayed patience and self-control. That's desirable. And say, oh, come to the table. Let me tell you where I found this. Life doesn't have to be this crazy. It can be crazy, but I don't have to take it that way because God tells me what is true. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. God, thank you that um, we, we take great comfort from the truth that you've revealed to us that you are at work in all things. And so God, as, as we confess to be um, weak and, and just pray to, to falling and turning so often um, just based on our circumstances to things that are less, uh, God, we want more of you. So would you grow our patience? And I know a lot of people are afraid to pray that. Help us to see that the trials and everything can actually be joy.
we can be in any position, postured below anyone. We are really postured under you, and you have secured our position. So let us serve joyfully and with great peace that the world could see and want to come to the table that you have set for us. That we could love them, even our enemies. God, make us a church known for patience and self-control. We love you. I trust you and praise you. Jesus, your name is above.